Well, if you would please open your Bibles to the epistle to the Hebrews this morning. It is a great blessing not only to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to make use of the wonderful means of grace that God has given us uh, for worshiping him in prayer, in song, and in the reading and preaching of the word. But it's a a special blessing when we have the ordinances. I'm thankful today that uh, immediately following the service we will have a baptism. Uh, We're glad to see uh, many of the Kelly family that we haven't seen in a while. Good to see you all. Thankful uh, and delighted that so many prayers have been answered on behalf of their children. And we all continue to pray for the children still here. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 2. I think I did that last week. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you would please stand with me just once more. We do not always stand at every reading of the word. But we do as we come into his presence and as we read the word that will be preached. So I will be reading Hebrews chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. And we will read through verse 4. We are privileged to have the word of God. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect So great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Amen. Please remain standing. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Once again, O Father, we bless Thee. We praise Thee. We give thanks at the remembrance of Thy holiness. We thank Thee that Thy desire from the beginning is to be with Thy people. This is beyond our comprehension. Any of us ever dealt with by the Holy Spirit 
knows what we are. And, O God, that thou wouldst desire to be with us is overwhelming. Thank you for that great love. Thank you for that great mercy. Thank you for loving sinners such as we. And we thank thee for giving thy son that we might have the pardon of sin and everlasting life. Thou knowest our needs this morning. Thou knowest every one that thou hast gathered in this place. And I ask in thy righteous and holy name that thou wouldst come by the mighty life-giving force of the Holy Spirit, the transforming power that turns the eyes of faith upon Jesus Christ. Oh, save those who are lost here this morning. Save them. Draw them out of their self-worshipping darkness. Draw them out of their neglect of this great salvation and bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And Father, how I thank thee for thy dear people, both in the Old and in the New Testament, we are called upon to love thee as the one true and living God. And O Christ, thou didst tell thy New Testament people Love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. O oh Lord, may we delight in thee, in thy truth, and in thy people today. Come, O oh Spirit of oneness. Come, O oh Spirit of unity. Bind the hearts of every regenerate soul in the love and adoration of our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> The author of Hebrews had a spirit-filled pastoral heart. A spirit-enlightened understanding of God's word. And a spirit-led ministry of preaching and applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hearts and lives of his readers. 
his spirit-inspired sermon-like letter, which we call the book of Hebrews, is often profoundly challenging, but always, always profitable to the hungry, believing soul. He structured it with great care and precision. He used two methods of presenting God's truth from the beginning to the end of this great book. First, he used the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, to present and praise the Lord Jesus Christ in his new covenant work of redemption, emphasizing his glorious work as our great high priest. He does this, the author does this, to show that Christ and his saving words and work are better, so much better than the old covenant types and shadows, laws and prophecies, and even the mighty angels of God. Secondly, after presenting and praising Christ and his superior glory and beauty, he pauses to exhort and warn his readers to respond to what he is saying. We may put it this way. He gives exposition, then he persuades by warning. Or, we can simplify it by just remembering two important words. Explanation and exhortation. Explanation and exhortation. He does this throughout the letter. And if you read it that way, you will begin to see that structure. He will explain beautifully the work of Christ, doctrine. He will lay one scripture after another in chains that we call katina. These are chains of scripture that he uses to argue his point. But then he warns us. He stops to warn us. This is a pastoral heart. So, in part one of this message, we learned that the believer's essential responsibility, and that's every believer, is to hear, believe, and obey Christ. We then discovered that the word, therefore, connects everything in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, which is the exhortation, <clears throat> which is the exposition of the deity of Christ the Son, to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, connects those two big portions and the first portion is that exposition we're talking about. It is that wonderful way of arguing for Christ, 
showing forth his glory, showing forth everything praiseworthy that he wants to bring out and set before us. Therefore, that's where the warning comes in. That's where the exhortation comes in. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. The things which we have heard, as we learned last week, are all that Christ spoke in general and especially the gospel. Likewise, Christ spoke through his apostles. The author then adds, lest at any time we should let them slip. That is a warning. It comes from a heart of love. This is not scolding. This is plainly telling God's people a reality. For those of you who have not been with us, we are among those who believe that the epistle to the Hebrews was written indeed to Jews that were leaving the faith, most likely because of persecution looming on the horizon. There are good reasons to believe that. <clears throat> but now, because he is concerned about their backsliding, because he knows backsliding can become apostasy, he sets before them the loveliness of Christ and then warns them of their great loss in turning from the Savior. Don't let the things we've heard from the Son of God slip. It's easy for things to slip away. It is easy for us to hear something, nod our heads, say amen, and we don't even remember on Monday, what we heard. <clears throat> Without giving more earnest heed, as we're commanded, to Christ and the Apostles' word, we might slip away from the Lord. We might slip into the darkness of apostasy. Apostasy is real. And we will spend some time on that as we work through this book. There are five warnings about apostasy. And every tender Christian that reads them always looks at them with a sense of foreboding. I don't want that to be me. My friends, numerous toxic preachers and their false doctrines, along with the onslaughts of the world, the flesh, and the devil, can seduce us into that slipping. And they can draw us into the horror of falling away from Christ. Oh, we might, we might continue to believe a fictional Christ, a cartoon Christ, a Christ that doesn't think that, oh, obeying him means anything. We might hold on to that Christ, but that's not the Christ that saves. Yeah. 
It is vital that we earnestly listen, that we listen, remember, and apply the words of Jesus Christ because apostasy is real. The title of our message is, Are You Earnestly Listening to Jesus? This is part two. This is a question I urge all of you to consider throughout the day today. Are you, am I, earnestly listening to Jesus? Oh, people of God, let us ask our Heavenly Father to reveal His purpose in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we then live and bear spiritual fruit to God's eternal glory. So we left off at our second main heading last week. We'll pick up there. And it's this. The words Christ spoke are superior to the word angels spoke. Another way of saying it is that the new covenant revelation of Christ and the gospel is better than the types and shadows of the old covenant. Verse 2 begins, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and we need to stop for just a few moments and think about what was just said. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, let's consider the issue of the angels stated here. If as we have learned, begins a conditional sentence. Usually means if, a condition, then, a consequence. If the word spoken by angels. What does that mean? It is a reference to the Mosaic law. Now, What do angels have to do with the Mosaic law? We want to think about that just for We'll drop anchor for a little while, but we won't stay all day. The angels and the Mosaic law. Exodus chapter 19, verse 20 says the following. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Exodus 20, 22 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel. Notice, thou, Moses, shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you, you, from heaven. I, God speaking to Moses. Now, is this a contradiction to what we just read about the angels speaking at Mount Sinai? <clears throat> Skeptics, atheists, love to point to this one. That's why we're going to think about it for just a moment. They'll say, here it is. Here's your Bible. 
here's your, your, your perfect Bible. Right here is a contradiction. There is no contradiction here. Uh, by any laws of logic, there is nothing that contradicts the scenario. <clears throat> and we'll see why. <clears throat> Several other verses say the very same thing as our passage here in Hebrews. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Acts chapter 7, verse 53 tells us that Stephen the martyr, Stephen the martyr said that the Jews have received the law by the disposition or the directions of angels and have not kept it. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. Moses, now think carefully with me here, Moses the eyewitness. Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He, God, shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. Now, the, the literal translation of that is ten thousands of holy ones. And angels are sometimes uh, considered that. These are the holy angels of God. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, translates uh, that passage in Deuteronomy as ten thousands of angels with him. That's how they understood it. The New Testament texts that mention the angels in giving of God's law most likely build upon that translation of the verse. Moses himself was the eyewitness of the giving of the law, and the event in Exodus only mentions Moses, most likely because God wanted Moses to be seen by Israel and its following generations as the God-appointed mediator and prophet of Israel. And so he is revered that way today. So, then the mention of Moses only, uh, the mention of Moses only, is not a contradiction to the several New Testament mentions of the angels. <clears throat> a contradiction would say, that Moses did this, and another passage would say, no, <clears throat> this person or that person or this group did that. There's no contradiction here. You will find throughout the scripture that there are times when only certain aspects of an event are given in one place. Then they're expanded later on in the Bible. So it is quite obvious that what was taking place is that as Moses was there receiving the law to enforce uh, to Israel, uh, there was a host of angels <clears throat> with him. 
with God. And that should mean something to us. Why does this matter? Well, I mentioned it last week, and I repeat it again this week, especially for those who were not with us. They were obviously, the angels were obviously present in God's descent upon Mount Sinai and in the giving of that law. And that's plainly from the the text of Deuteronomy, which was a law book for the nation of Israel. This was something they had to know. Deuteronomy is a vital book of the Old Testament. It is an essential book to understand for any of us to read and understand what happens in the rest of the history of the nation of Israel. There were blessings, there were curses, and they knew God's blessing and they also knew God's curses. So this would be a well-known event to see the angels spoken of in the giving of the law. And it is quite clear that the New Testament Jews who knew their Old Testament understood this. Now, why is that important? Because they are associated then in the Jewish mind with the giving of of God's law, the giving of the revelation in the Old Testament. This is why chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, spend all the time focusing on the the beauty of Christ, the deity of Christ, and showing because that he is God incarnate, his words are more important than the words of the Old Testament prophets. It is a greater revelation. This is not to diminish God's word at any point. It's just this was types, shadows, prophecies that pointed to something. Jesus is the something. Jesus is the someone. He fulfilled all that the Old Covenant pointed to. He is the glorious one who came in the name of his Father. He is the one who preached the glorious truth. He is the one who came and said, Repent and believe the gospel. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Moses couldn't say that. The angels cannot say that. That is why Christ's word is more important. The very revelation of God's salvation came when our glorious king came into this world. So then, the mention of Moses is not a contradiction. The angels were obviously there. And the author of Hebrews spends much time in chapter 1, revealing the deity and superiority of Jesus Christ and the new covenant over angels and even the prophets. So then, let's consider the angels and the steadfast law. (laughs) 
The law was enforced during the period of the Old Covenant. <clears throat> Once again, the little word for, F-O-R, for helps us to understand what the text means, what it says and then what it means. The word steadfast means in force. So, <clears throat> throughout the time of the Old Covenant, the law, the law was in force. Every Jew was under the covenant law of God. And that is followed by a consequence for not taking earnest heed to what God says. Remember, when you read Deuteronomy, you will see priests standing on one mount saying, blessings for this. And they list out the blessings. On the other side, as the people were passing through between the two mountains, the other priests are saying, curses for this, for that. If you read it over and over, it's what they lived under. Blessing for obedience. Curses for disobedience. They lived under the weight of that in every generation. And they were told repeatedly, wish I had time to go through just a, 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 a smattering of the, of the times that it said in the Old Testament. But God will say to the prophets, go tell them, you're not listening to my words. They haven't hearkened unto my words. We're getting that in the new covenant and we're being told it's even more serious. More on that. <clears throat> We want to consider the unbending justice of the Old Covenant law. The Holy Spirit draws our attention to what happened to those in the Old Covenant who did not take earnest heed to God's word. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. In other words, God righteously judged them. Their disobedience, their transgressions brought forth the curses of God. He would warn them in his love. By the way, the, the prophets were God's covenant keepers. <laughs> they were the, the covenant force that God sent out to draw Israel back to God. The very law of God itself speaks of them that love me and keep my commandments. What did their disobedience say? We don't love you. We love us. By the way, that's true of us. When we walk with Christ, because we love him, this is the Christian life. I mean, this is the Christian life. Uh, we, we can be summed up in, in Paul's one sentence, faith that worketh by love. Amen. <clears throat> Christ himself said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that hath my, my commandments and keepeth them not, loveth me not. So I want us to begin to feel something of the weight of what's being said in this warning. 
Let's go a little further. God's law is righteous, perfectly righteous, holy, just, and good. It manifests God's righteous character. And as we know it, it bestows blessings for the obedient and curses for the disobedient. And when Israel and Judah did not take heed to God's law, they often experienced God's covenant curses. But consider this. Numbers 15, 32 and 36. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. This is just one among many of the examples of thumbing our nose at God and what he commands. And this was someone that he had delivered from Egypt. One of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible is behold the goodness and severity of God. And Israel felt his goodness over and again. But they also felt his curses. Covenant curses. They often experienced this. Because of continued disobedience, Israel and Judah were cast out of the promised land. Even as Adam was cast out of the garden, he disobeyed. And it cost him the garden and his physical life. God's disobedience, uh, disobedient children had to endure captivity in foreign lands under foreign gods. If you will not walk under my law, if you will not walk under the one true living God, I will give you over to the gods of the world. What greater curse as far as human experience in this world could someone face? And they all knew this. Read Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 of his extraordinary work. And he says over and again, we didn't keep your word. There he is in Babylon under false gods. This was a faithful, a faithful man. But he said, you gave us your words. We didn't keep them. We didn't walk in them. Oh, heavenly father. We have sinned. That's right. They did not listen to God's servants, the prophets. And he repeats that to them regularly. I sent my men to you. I sent them to these wonderful covenant officers, if I can say it that way. But you would not listen. You wouldn't take heed. So they endured God's covenant curses, God's covenant wrath. We really need to understand the seriousness of this. If we get that in the Old Testament, we're being told something very powerfully under the new covenant. 
Now, one of the things that I want to touch on quickly before we go on is that hearing, as we understand it in these passages, hearing means obeying. The words hear, hearing, and hearken have several meanings in the Old Testament writings. Sometimes they are just hearing what someone says. But careful study of Scripture, as well as helpful lexicons and commentaries, make very clear that the Hebrew and Greek words for hear and hearken often mean obey. God isn't just saying, now I'm going to say something to you and I hope it makes a nice impression. Hope you like these words. Nobody's saying. When he says hear them, he means understand them, believe them, obey them. For instance, the theological word book of the Old Testament gives one of the definitions of hear as obey with words such as commandment. We'll just take time for two examples. There are so many of uh, these examples throughout the scriptures. You can spend a lot of time uh, looking them up and reading them. For example, Moses said to Israel, I spake unto you. And by the, word, by the way, the more we go through Hebrews, the more we see how important the notion of words is. Words. Especially, as I said in our introduction to these sermons, <clears throat> words, God's words, the, the doctrine of God's word goes all the way through Hebrews. We're getting it right now. We actually get it in the, in the very first verse. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us in his Son, by his Son. So, Moses says, I spake unto you, and he was speaking God's words, and ye would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. He, he, he puts hearing next to rebellion, which of course means hearing meant obeying. God never just talks. He purposes to speak his glorious revelation to not so good listeners as we. We ought to be straining to hear him and say, oh Lord, help me to understand what you're saying and then let me walk in it. Again, not under the whip, but because amazing grace has captured our hearts. Amen. I urge you in the last um, Free Grace Broadcaster on the Fifth Commandment, uh, there's some wonderful articles there. There's one by Jonathan Edwards in which he makes absolutely clear from Scripture there's only one kind of work that God receives from us. And it is that which is by faith and love. Amen. Just doing it and just doing it out of habit means very little, if anything at all. But because we love him, 
and walk in what, he's, in what he says. We're saying by that very act, Lord Jesus, I love you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I love thee. In that great hymn that we sing, it says, words can never measure. Since words can never measure, let my life show forth thy praise. We certainly want to speak highly of Christ, but how we live is what either shows our words to be true or proves us to be liars. And the scriptures make this plain as well. Jesus said, in the New Testament, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. He had just been told, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And the Lord used every opportunity that he could get to teach. Always. And he said, well, who, who are my, my mother and my brethren? That's a, that's a startling question. You know, I mean, he didn't just say, all right, everybody, hold it my mom's here and and went out how was that honoring his mother and his father he was honoring his heavenly father who had put him there to teach that's why christ could make statements like if any man loveth father mother more than me you really hate me Does anybody here believe that Jesus? Do you really believe he said things like that? Now, if you believe he said them, as Hebrews is telling us, do you listen intensively and obey it? That's what we're being said. His revelation is better. We should be listening and walking with him. Mm. Well, My mother and my brethren are they which hear the word of God and do it. It's the idea. Even even when the word do or command is not with it, there's sometimes just the very nature of what we saw in the verse in Deuteronomy um, that hearing is often set against rebelling, which means hearing should have produced an obedience. Now, let's be honest just for a moment. I'm not trying to... Uh, heap condemnation on anybody. I have to ask myself these things throughout the week as I'm preparing. And I ask myself when I go home, how many sermons do you remember? How many sermons have you gone home and obeyed? You said, I heard something this morning in that sermon. I'm going to lay hold on that and make sure that this is in my life. Just one thing. (laughs) Just one thing. I mean, you can get, you can get a, an iPhone and put sermon audio on there and you can download the greatest preaching you can find anywhere on the world and listen to it all day long and your life not change. Or you can talk religion a little more. Or, you know, Paul Washer said and R.C. Sproul said, and, 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 and so what if you're not listening to what God said and begin to form your life according to it? This is what he's doing. This is a form of discipline. This is discipling. 
This is taking the words of our master and setting them before us. And we are thinking about them. What? I hope you are. Thinking about what he said and what he's called us to. Because we're being warned. If we don't listen, if we don't hear what he's saying, we may be fooling ourselves. Are you, am I, giving earnest heed to Jesus? Well, that brings us to the next thought. How shall we escape? Those are four extraordinary words. We would expect after hearing all these beautiful things about the Lord Jesus Christ to be encouraged about amazing grace and all of those things that we love to hear about. And we ought to love to hear about them. But he said, now, wait a minute. Let's go back and look at the old covenant for a minute. Do you see how serious God was about his laws? Do you see that when the, the people of Israel who had been blessed, who had been uh, taken out of bondage after 400 years, and brought to the promised land. God said I'm going to, to Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. And this covenant law. Was the constitution of that land. It was the religious guidance for that land. It's this is how I want you to live. This is how I want to be worshipped. It's in detail. Nadab and Abihu didn't listen to the details that God said. Don't burn any other incense. Don't offer any other offering than the kinds that I have authorized. And on the day that they were anointed to do the priestly work in the tabernacle, God burned them up in front of their father. This is serious. This is serious. And that doesn't compare to what our author in Hebrews is saying to us. If all that happened, how shall we escape? If all, so wait a minute, aren't we talking about Christians saved by grace? How did we get on this? Christians saved by grace need to know that there are warnings in the Bible because there are many people the Lord Jesus Christ makes clear that start the race and do not finish. I don't know of a more abused word after love than grace. It's not a license to live like the world and be assured that, that you're going to heaven. How shall we escape? What a question. That's why the little word we right through this passage is so important. I repeat, therefore, we believers ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. This is apostasy. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? These are people that are proclaiming the amazing grace of God. But now they're leaving it. That's why the Lord Jesus gave a parable about four soils. There's three of them aren't good. 
Only one is. Let's consider the text again. We ought to give the more earnest heed. We to the things which we have heard. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We now see how serious this warning is, I trust, or at least begin to feel it. The old covenant saints had the covenant law of God with its blessings and curses. That was an earthly covenant for the nation of Abraham's seed. God blessed and cursed his people for their obedience and disobedience. The law was unbending. But now the author of Hebrews says, if that's the way it was under the law, how shall we have heard, how shall we that have heard this great salvation in Jesus Christ, how shall we escape judgment for eternity? How shall we escape the greater punishment for the great and glorious mercy, grace, and love that God has shown in His Son? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His only begotten Son. He was the most, He was the unique person in the history of this universe. The God-man, truly God, truly man in one person. Eternal Son, before He united with humanity. And then after uniting with humanity, His life was glorious. He kept the law. He kept every aspect of the Mosaic law. Why? Because that law was righteous, and He was winning for us a perfect righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to us who believe. How dare we profess him and walk away from him because it might cost us. That's the point. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn away from Jesus. <clears throat> what if someone were torturing your daughter before you? Right. Not you, but torturing your daughter. Or your son, cutting into pieces bit by bit. Things like that happen. I might lose my job if I sounded as crazy as you. You sure might. You might need to walk away from your job if you can't honor Christ in it. Now, I don't mean stand up in the middle of the day and just preach to people. They're not going to pay you to do that. You'd be the best employee there. There was a woman in one of the jobs I worked in who would go and stand at the water fountain and witness to people throughout the day. And she thought she was doing something good. But she was bringing great, great dishonor on the name of Christ. I'm taking a paycheck, but I'm doing it just to talk to people about Jesus. It, that's, uh, that's another series of messages. Not saying you can never say anything to anybody in your workplace, but you're being paid to work. You need to work. 
Well, <clears throat> the whole issue then comes down to this great salvation. That's what's held up to say, how should we escape? If we neglect this, a glorious, full and free salvation, God purposed before the foundation of the world, as we said last week, <clears throat> to save his people from their sins. His son agreed to become the sin-bearing substitute for all the people that, G uh, that God the Father gave him. The Holy Spirit agreed to regenerate every soul that had been given to Christ to move in their hearts so that they would repent and believe no one would believe the story that a man who died on a cross as a criminal was the key to everlasting life. No one. Unless God makes you to see it. That's grace. But who could walk away from this glorious salvation? You cannot earn it. <laughs> You can do nothing to get God to like you enough to save you. He's already given his son and said, he commanded his son, tell them this, come unto me, come to me. Israel wouldn't do it, by and large. Can you imagine the Pharisees that turned the crowd's heart And got the crucifixion pushed through. Hey, Pilate, if you don't deal with this guy, you're not Caesar's friend. Oh, politics, right in the middle of it. Their place in hell is horrifying. And they believed in a Messiah. They just didn't believe that Jesus was that Messiah. While he agreed to it, are you the Messiah? You just said it. That's an agreement. Oh, my brethren, this salvation is so great. We will spend a little time on that next week. Now let, me, let me move on then to say this. this. This great salvation was proclaimed by no less than God. God, there's no higher authority. As I said, the Old Testament scriptures pointed to a greater day when Messiah would come, and it did so by types, by shadows, by prophecy. But Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. He was the fulfillment of those types and of those shadows. It was all about him and the salvation that he accomplished for sinners. All about him. He came into the world and announced this great salvation. Verse 4 then says, of this great, of this glorious, of this amazing salvation by grace through faith this way, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. He said, if you don't believe who I am, look at the works. How many of you are raising the dead? He did not say that. But this is what he means. Look at the works. Look at what I've done. All of them say to you, I'm exactly who I say that I am. Amen. Jesus announced that he was 
this great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. That's the apostles. It was affirmed. We saw him risen. And then it goes even further. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What else do you need? Let me ask those of you here who don't believe in Christ. Christ himself affirmed who he was, what he had come to do. The apostles saw him resurrected. They heard what he commanded them to preach and they went out and preached it. And God himself bore witnesses by the miracles, not only that Christ did, but that the apostles did. It changed everything in the ancient world. Yeah, but we don't believe that. How will you escape? How will you escape? God has given all that's necessary to save people from their sins and to keep them for eternity. Christ bore witness of it. Apostles bore witness of it. God himself sent the Holy Spirit and continued to do miracles in the preaching of the word. How will you escape? There is no greater attestation than God himself. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I say to you, do you understand the warning here? If an earthly covenant, a worldly constitution was filled with blessings and curses, how will you escape? If you neglect so great salvation, Jesus Christ said, come, come, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ on the authority of this word. And I can, I can take a dozen people right away in this room and say, the very grace of God has transformed this person. How will you escape? Well, brethren, I will take up and add the applications that are sitting here lonely. And I will simply name them next week. We'll give a little more time to them. How do we apply all of this? Well, really, the easiest thing to do is throw down your arms, your war against God and believe on Christ. And those of you that have, don't take it for granted. This is a difficult journey. It's hard to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have him all the way through, which is why we keep going. He's better than anything the world has to offer. But it's not just because he's better. It's because he's the living God who has shown his love for sinners. So, how, how, how do you take this and apply it? Number one, first by a healthy, growing prayer life. We'll talk about that in detail next time. 
Secondly, by meditating in and studying the scriptures. Thirdly, by listening carefully to and praying about what is preached and taught you from God's word. Not only from those who teach you, but even in your own time of researching and studying this blessed word. I read an article just this morning that said from the uh, poll that we've taken, the majority of people that call themselves Christians in this country would like to read the Bible more, but they're just too busy. They're, they've, they've just got schedules that don't permit it. I would say do everything you can in prayer to do what you can to have that time. Lastly, how can believers who think they listen earnestly to Christ in the sense of Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, how can they know that they truly are doing so? That's the ultimate application next week. How can they know? I can give you an answer just in the event that we're not here next week. You walk by faith and love with Jesus Christ. You obey him. You hear his words and you apply them to your life. How do I love my enemies? How do I do that? How do I love his people? We have big enough trouble loving one another, let alone our enemies. <clears throat> well, brethren, this is God's wonderful word. Are you earnestly listening then to it? Are you listening to Jesus? Jesus your mind should be filled with his precious words. They're sweet to the soul. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes they're sweeter than honey. Come to Christ if you do not know him. And if you do, listen. Listen earnestly and walk in it for his glory and your own soul's good. Amen. Father, Father, these words are just astounding. We are amazed at what we read. We do believe with all our hearts in the free grace, the amazing grace of God. We are not saved by our works. We are not kept by our works. But those who have had the Holy Spirit's miracle of the new birth love Jesus and they want to walk with him and honor and glorify him. May we listen hard and may we walk in his truth to his great glory. Amen. Amen. Brethren, we have a baptism today. Uh, for those of you that wish to stay with us, we'd be delighted. You'll be seeing uh, our brother obeying the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Uh, it will take us just a few minutes to get changed. And then we will have that wonderful ordinance of God. We'll take a break and we'll call you back as soon as we start.